morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. We jump back into our message series entitled Ruth, and certainly we are looking at the book of Ruth. It's a short and a rather powerful book. So we've been looking at, so far, a number of different chapters, chapters 1, 2, and 3, four different parts already. So quick review, uh, many of you are, are able to kind of recite this, you're, you're ready, you're understanding every single chapter and every single theme we've looked at. We began looking at bad decisions. Elimelech and Naomi left Bethlehem. They left the land of Israel for Moab, taking their two sons, Malon and Kilion, with them. While there, those sons married Moabite wives. But while there, Elimelech died. Both of the sons died, and they were left with just Naomi and the two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. We followed up by looking at some good decisions, seeing that Naomi chose to head back to Bethlehem, head back to the land of Israel. And when we choose to turn to or return to God, it puts us in a position to have some good responses, good decisions from the Lord. So they headed back. Orpah ended up, she turned back to Moab. But Ruth wholeheartedly stuck with Naomi. She said, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And together they headed back to Bethlehem. Part three in chapter two, we saw that God is at work. Even though sometimes we don't always see what God's doing. We're, we're not always sure what God is up to. We see that God is at work behind the scenes. So in chapter two, we saw that Ruth just so happened to go to the field of Boaz to glean or work and get some grain. Boaz just so happened to be one of the family redeemers for the line or lineage of Naomi and Ruth. And so while it seemed random, while it seemed coincidental, God had his hand on every part of this, which is interesting because if you take a look at the book of Ruth and we see God is present chapter after chapter, verse after verse, you will not find the name of or specific mention of the word God in the book of Ruth. Yet God's fingerprints are all over the place. God is at work even when we don't see him working. And so God certainly was working in chapter 2. Chapter 3, last time, we explored how to find God's will. Chapter 3, Naomi gave Ruth some rather unique instructions, and Ruth obeyed. The instructions were about going to see Boaz, doing certain things, and then asking him, calling upon him as a family redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, to redeem, to buy back this land and, and to be part of this family. And so at the end, Ruth did what was spoken of. She went to see Boaz. Boaz said, I will take care of this. But remember the twist. He said, I am a redeemer, but there's someone who's even closer as a redeemer than me. So I will get with him. And if he redeems, great. But if not, I will. So we leave chapter three, understanding he says he's going to take care of this. But like a good novel, like a good movie, aren't you left wanting more? Aren't you left wondering? You know, when you read that novel and you finish the chapter and it, it introduces a, a plot twist or it introduces a question and you wonder what happens next. And so you keep reading to the next chapter and that chapter ends with a twist. 
Or maybe you watch a show or a movie, it's a mystery, and you keep wanting to see what's going to happen. That's really where we are here. In the book of Ruth, we're wondering, what about this other kinsman redeemer? Who is he? And will he redeem? You're left wondering, will Boaz and Ruth get together? It's kind of like the Hallmark movie, right? We referenced that a couple weeks ago. You think that he and her are about to get together, and it seems like God's putting Boaz and Ruth together, but now there's a twist. And so we're wondering, what about the other Redeemer? What about Boaz and Ruth? What happens to Naomi? Is someone somehow going to take care of her? Well, today we're going to be answering those questions, getting through most of chapter 4. Next week we'll finish the last few verses and then peer into the future as we conclude the series. But today our topic or title is this fact. There is a redeemer. Now we know that Boaz is a redeemer. Boaz says there's another redeemer. So who's the real redeemer? Will the real redeemer please stand up? We're going to see who and what he is. But more than that, I trust you're going to be encouraged today in understanding we're not just talking about this man as a redeemer. We're not just talking about Boaz as a redeemer. We're talking about Jesus Christ. There is a redeemer. Jesus Christ died and paid the price for you and for me. So we're going to be exploring that. There is a Redeemer. So turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the book of Ruth, chapter 4. We're looking in the New Living Translation is what I'm reading from. Ruth, chapter 4, verse 1. We read this. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. We're encouraged by the fact that this was an immediate response. Naomi instructed Ruth to see Boaz, and she did. She did everything that was asked and asked if he would redeem. He said, I can and I will, but there's someone who's closer. I'll get to the bottom of it. And sure enough, verse 1 of the very next chapter, that Basically, that same day, as they talked in the middle of the night, she went home, he went home. He goes to the town gate. So there is an immediate response. We see that Boaz is somebody who's taking this seriously. Now, he goes to the city gate. This is kind of the equivalent of a town hall or kind of the equivalent of a courthouse. This is where people gathered. They did business transactions and legal transactions. It might be the proverbial water cooler where maybe gossip was transacting. Right? It's the place where people went to do things, to get things done. And so he went and sat down. He is prepared to take care of what he said he was going to do. We continue in verse 1. It says, just then, or the English Standard Version says, and behold. It reminds us of chapter 2, that phrase, it so happened, or it just so happened. God is at work. God's fingerprints are upon this. And as Boaz goes, he needs to talk to one specific man. He goes, he sits down, and just then, it just so happened, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. It's further confirmation that God is at work. We think God isn't aware of me. God's not 
understanding what I'm facing or going through. And time after time after time, God's assuring us, I'm at work, I'm on the job, have no fear. So it just so happened, just then, the family redeemer came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Now, we read that and we hear the word friend and we think, oh, they are close. Uh, they're, they're relatives. Boy, this is probably somebody he's hung out with. Not so fast. Not necessarily that they are so close. He's using the word friend. The King James uh, interprets it as such a one. In other words, he's a man. He's a guy. You know, Mr. So-and-so. When you're referring to somebody, you know who they are. Boaz knew who this man was. He knew he was a family redeemer. He knew he was closer, but that didn't mean that they were necessarily close in relationship. It'd be like somebody coming by and like, hey, buddy, hey, you, come on over here and sit down. So when we say, hey, buddy, that doesn't mean I am super, super close with you. It might just be a, a, a means of referring to a guy. So he's saying, hey, you. Yeah, you come on over here and what he say sit down we've got some business we're not just gonna stand around and gab a little bit we're gonna sit down and we're gonna talk about something that well it's pretty important verse 2 Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses so Boaz is furthering and showing the initiative he's taking he's furthering the leadership that he's taking He's inviting 10 elders to come and to sit in as witnesses. Now, the law does not specify that you need 10 witnesses to make something happen. It's possible that this was customary in the times, that maybe uh, they would require or uh, request perhaps 10 individuals. At the very least, there's some positive peer pressure taking place. This isn't just two men talking about a transaction. It's not just two guys with one witness. Boaz is saying, I want this to be done, done well, done right. I want people to know what we're talking about. Ten different witnesses. Now, when we do transactions, I mean, we do things and, and we've got computerized copies and paper copies. And, you know, sometimes when you go to uh, check out at a store, you swipe a card and, and the screen comes up. It'll ask you, do you want an email receipt? Do you want a print receipt? Or do you want both? That's not what we're talking about here in the time of Boaz. No computers, very little handwritten records. And so the more witnesses you have, the more secure that transaction is going to be. If only one or two people are aware, well, you've got witnesses. But Boaz is saying, I want 10 people around. We're going to discuss this. I want 10 people understanding what's taking place. So verse 3, Boaz is going to lay it on the line. He says to the family redeemer, you know Naomi who came back from Moab. She's selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Boaz, he doesn't start talking about the weather. He doesn't start talking about politics or about sports. Or He gets right to the point. You know Naomi. No doubt the people of that day and time and culture, they knew who Naomi was. She had left. She was gone for about 10 years, came back. Well, you know Naomi. 
She came back from Moab. She's selling this land. Everyone present would understand who she was. They would understand this is a pretty difficult situation she's in. She's a widow, doesn't have a whole lot. She lost her husband, lost her sons, and it's just Naomi and Ruth. And she, she's got land that was formerly belonging to her husband and needing to sell it, needing somehow to provide some stability for the future. So Boaz, is, it's interesting because you and I are thinking Boaz and Ruth. But Boaz, as he's sharing with this other man, he presents it, he frames the issue as Naomi and land. Now, if you're an individual in that day and time, when you hear land and an opportunity for land, your ears are going to perk up. I mean, who doesn't want to have some or expand their opportunity of land? And if this man has an opportunity as a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, his antenna is up. Verse 4, Boaz expands a little bit more. He said, I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. You're a redeemer. You can buy this back. If you want the land, buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. He's saying, listen, you have the opportunity slash obligation to purchase this, to buy this back, to redeem the land and Naomi. Now, this opportunity, if you would, is probably more of a duty. It was not mandatory, but it certainly you felt obligated. And if you did not, it normally would bring about some shame on your part that you chose or were not able to do what was asked of you. So Boaz is laying it all on the line, but then he gives him an out, right? He says, let me know because I am next. I'm next in line. Again, he frames it as Naomi and the land, and so the man replies, all right, I'll redeem it. It's a quick decision, yes. And for you and I, if we're reading this story, if we're on the outside looking in at this Bible Hallmark movie, we're seeing this and, and we're yelling at the screen, no, we don't want this man, right? We want Boaz together with Ruth. And now this man is saying yes to the land, yes to Naomi, and we're, we're disappointed. We want Boaz and Ruth, not Ruth and no-name man. But Boaz is obviously prepared for this response, perhaps some wisdom from the Lord as he has presented and framed it in such a way. Remember, he produces it and represents it and frames it as Naomi and her property. But now here comes the twist. It's something that perhaps this other man has not understood or considered. Verse 5, then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. So I read this and my mind goes to... Uh, Two different things. One is a, a little bit of an old-timey reference because I'm getting old, people. One's a little bit more modern. But when I, when I read this, my first thought goes to Columbo. Anybody remember Columbo, Peter Falk? It was a 
I got a handful. I was, I was wondering if I was so old, none, none of you remembered. All right, 70s, 80s, maybe into the 1990s, Peter Falk was kind of a frumpy, disheveled investigator, and, and he had a dilapidated, beat-up car, and, and he would investigate these situations. Many times it's a murder or a, a situation, and he would show up, and he'd have his little notebook, and he'd ask questions, and little by little, he would piece it all together, and towards the end of the movie, he would be talking to the person who had done the dirty deed, and he would ask a question, and he would say, thank you very much. He would turn to leave, but then he'd stop. He'd turn around, he would look at that individual and say, oh, one more thing that I'd like to ask you. And he'd ask the question in such a way, it basically backs the person in the corner and lets them know, I, I got you. I figured it all out. You thought you were so smart, but what about this, 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 and this? One more thing. Now, a little bit more modern-day version of that, probably in the last 10 years or so, 10 or 15 years, you think about Steve Jobs and Apple. Steve Jobs has since passed, but introduced many different Apple computers and iPhone and some of the great technological advances here. And they would have a keynote address where they would be unveiling products or features, and it seems like they would be done, and he would say, oh, one more thing. And on the screen would pop this brand new iPhone or iPad or some other device. It would be his way of saying, we've got one more thing for you to consider. It's that one more thing. It's that fine print. And so as we're watching this and as this man's listening, he's thinking, okay, Land and Naomi. And Boaz is saying, ah, one more thing. When you purchase this land, it also requires that you marry Ruth so she can have children and those children will carry on her husband's name and then those children will be able to keep the land in the family. In other words, no name man, buddy, friend, pal, you don't really keep the land. Now isn't that a twist? Because he's thinking, no doubt, I have this or I want the opportunity to purchase this land, but now it's a package deal. So verse 6, after just saying, yes, I'll redeem it, in verse 6, the man says, then I can't, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. Maybe he says no because he understands the land is never really going to be his. He's redeeming it for Naomi and Ruth, but the obligation and the duty is to then marry Ruth, have a child, who's an heir who would then end up with that property. So he's going to pay money for something he's not going to keep in the end. So he's probably thinking, it does not make financial sense for me. It's not a great investment. People talk about risk to reward ratio. You know, if I, if I spend 10 bucks, am I going to get 10 bucks of pleasure or 10 bucks of investment out of it? Or am I going to lose my money? He's probably thinking, I can say yes, but I'm going to end up losing this land. Maybe he says no because now he realizes he's got to take care of two widows. Not just one, but two. Taking care of Naomi as the widow, marrying Ruth as the other one. I mean, if it's only Naomi, she's older certainly than Ruth. And if she's older, 
That probably means she's not going to be able to have another heir or have a child. And if she's older, that means, let's just be honest, she's probably sooner to die and pass on, and I will get her property. But it's not just Naomi. It's Naomi and Ruth. Ruth is younger. Ruth is able to have a child. And if Ruth has a child, has an heir, the heir has the property. So perhaps he's saying no to all of those things. More expense, and he's not going to end up with what he thinks he would. Now the interesting response in verse 7. In those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. So, hey, here you go, Boaz. Here's my shoe. Here's my sandal. I don't want it, but you having this, this is, this is our receipt, right? We don't have an email receipt. We don't have a printed receipt, but you're going to have my sandal. You're going to have my shoe. This is going to indicate that we've done business together. Rather interesting. So he hands it to Boaz. He completes the process. But notice the, the name here. It says the other family redeemer. We still don't know his name, right? This Mr. No Name, and perhaps the author, the, the writer here, is commenting, perhaps from the Lord, this, this is a statement on him. He's refusing redemption. It's his opportunity, his duty to do so, and yet he says, I can't. I won't. I'll give you my shoe for you to do it. One commentator wrote this, The man who is so anxious for the preservation of his own inheritance is now not even known by his name. He was so greedy for stuff he could hold on to and he could keep. He wanted the land. Okay, if i got to put up with Naomi for a little bit, I will. But I'm going to end up with land. But now if it includes Ruth, I, I can't. I won't. So we're going to pause here before we jump back and continue in the chapter. Because we've spent some time these last couple weeks talking about a redeemer, a family redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. Boaz is a redeemer. Boaz says, I'm one, but there's someone who's even closer. And then we meet him. We don't know who he is. We don't know his name. Let me, let me just share with you briefly three thoughts or three qualifications of a kinsman redeemer. And as we explore this briefly, it's going to be more than just what Boaz needed to have or the qualifications he needed to have. But as we mentioned in previous weeks, Boaz is a type of or a symbol of Christ. So Boaz as the redeemer for Ruth points us forward to Jesus Christ, who would be the redeemer for you and for me. So three qualifications of a redeemer. First of all, a kinsman redeemer, a redeemer must be a close relative by blood. You can't just want to. This isn't somebody jumping in saying, hey, there's some land for the taking. If it means putting up with uh, this individual or this, uh, this widow, okay, I'm for it. 
You can't just say you want to. You've got to be family, close family by blood. And Boaz said, I am one. But he knew the lineage. He, he knew the, uh, the breakdown. He knew there was someone, Mr. So-and-so, who was even closer than him. You think about Jesus Christ. God's word says he's closer than a brother. In John chapter 1, verse 14, <clears throat> it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He made his dwelling among us. He was not just somebody far away. Scripture says he came close to this earth to be one of us, live among us, close to us. Romans chapter 1, verse 3 says the good news is about his son in his earthly life, born into King David's family line. Jesus is a close relative by blood. He came to earth for you and for me. He's not someone who's far off, but came close. But it's more than just being a close relative, more than someone who's got kind of a close connection. Secondly, you must be able to redeem. Being a relative, being part of that family tree wasn't just good enough. You had to have the ability to pay the price. Because redeeming someone, redeeming their land, this process of redemption, redemption was not free. There was a price to pay. So you had to be able to redeem able to pay the price you don't just show up and say i'm a family member i want that field the question is can you pay the price to redeem it to buy it back hmm. jesus came to earth and jesus was able to pay the price he was able to pay the price as he gave of his very life in order to redeem us. Here's what Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5 says. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. He came and was able to pay the price, able to redeem. We celebrate Easter in just a handful of weeks. And it's not just Easter Sunday that we remember. Jesus paid the price. He died upon the cross and was able to pay the price for your sins and for my sins. A, a price must be paid. So a close relative, able to redeem. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, You were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish and without spot. A price had to be paid, but silver or gold, that wasn't enough to get it done. Now we think silver or gold, that's, that's pretty pricey, that's valuable. Silver or gold was not enough to pay the price for your sin and my sin. It was Jesus Christ, the lamb without blemish and without spot. As our redeemer, he was able to redeem, able to pay the price. So it's not just that relative, it's not just being able to redeem, but thirdly, it's this, you must be willing to redeem. 
It's one thing to be able. It's one thing to have the price to pay. It seemed like in Ruth chapter 4, this man was able to pay. He was able to pay the price, but when he understood all that went along with it, it's not just Naomi and her field, but it also was Ruth and having an heir, and that child would have the land. That was a pretty big price to pay. He was able to, financially able to, but not willing to. Once hearing about the whole package, once hearing about Ruth, once hearing about the heir, he said no. But Boaz was willing. He told her, even before meeting this man, if he redeems you, so be it. But if not, I will. I'm willing to do that. When it comes to Jesus Christ, he is your redeemer, my redeemer. He not just is able to pay the price as he gave of himself on the cross of, on the cross of Calvary, but he was willing to do that. John chapter 10 verse 18 says this, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. I give it. I willingly choose to, to give my life on the cross for you and for me. He's willing to redeem. Hebrews 12, 2 puts it this way. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. So certainly we see in Ruth chapter 4, this man, he was a close relative. He was able to redeem. He chose not to. He was not willing. Boaz was. But it points us to the big picture. The Old Testament scriptures are pointing us to the Savior, pointing us to the Redeemer. Jesus Christ, not only able to as a spotless, sinless lamb, but willing, willing to redeem. Choosing to give of his life for you and for me. And for so many individuals, that opportunity is there for some who would even reject him or turn him away. He was still willing to pay the price. Let's jump back into the text. Verse 9 and following, Boaz then says to the elders and the crowd standing around, You're witnesses that today I've bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. With the land I've acquired, Ruth, the Moabite widow, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and inherit the family property here in this hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. So everybody agrees. Boaz says, Here's what's going to be done. Here's what I'm doing. And they agree. It seemed as if Ruth was giving up her best shot, her best chance at a good life by leaving Moab behind. She's leaving the only land she had known and grown up with to head to the land of Israel with Naomi for a place she had not known. And yet God was preparing and providing even for her. God brought her this relationship even greater than she could have imagined. So the people replied, we're witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. Remember Rachel and Leah as well as um, their, their servants who had 
son after son after son after son, many of the individuals, we see the 12 tribes of Israel. So they reference them. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. So you can see that story. It's another rather interesting and unique one from Genesis chapter 38. Both Ruth and Tamar were foreigners who were brought into the land of and married into the families of Israel. Verse 13, Boaz took Ruth home. She became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Now, she had been married. She'd lost her husband, and over this process, or period of 10-plus years, she had not had a child. Some, perhaps, in that day might have thought of or considered that womb to be closed, and yet God had provided a son. Verse 14 the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who's provided a redeemer for your family. May the child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he's a son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. It's that, that phrase about seven sons, a number of different scriptures throughout the Old Testament, many times alluding to that fact, perhaps thinking of seven sons as this ideal family. And the, the women are saying, may this one be better to you than the seven. That's how much of a blessing we are praying that God would bless upon you. So verse 16, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him and cared for him as if he were her own. And the women said, now at last Naomi has a son again and named him Obed, became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Now that provides a little bit of a hook. That provides a little bit of a twist for where we're going to go next week. Jesse, maybe we're not as familiar with, although maybe that, that strikes a couple of bells for you. But then when you read about the grandfather of David, you're wondering, is it so? Could it be that this child of Ruth is the grandfather of King David? Of Israel? Spoiler alert, it is. So we're, we're going to investigate the last number of verses of chapter 4 next week. There's a, a brief genealogy. We'll jump into uh, Matthew chapter 1 and look at some of those familiar names from Scripture. But before we conclude, let me, let me give you four real quick final thoughts. First of all, without God, we are helpless. Didn't that seem like what chapter 1 was about? Elimelech and Naomi and their sons left the hand and provision of God for a, a pagan country. The husband dies. The two sons die. Now there's just three widows. You see, when we try to face our life, when we try to face our details, and we try to face our situations on our own, we're helpless. We don't have the strength or the might or the power or the connections to be able to handle life. Without God, we're helpless. But secondly, when we seek God, we see hope. It was interesting, towards the end of chapter 1, as Naomi chose to leave Moab and head back to Israel, she began to seek after God. And Ruth said, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. They turned back to God. God was working behind the scenes, but desiring that they would turn or return to him. I believe the same thing in our lives. 
no matter what kind of situation we might be facing. And there's many difficult situations, no doubt experienced in a place like this or watching or listening online. But when we call upon and seek after God, we begin to see hope because hope is found in him. But thirdly, we must call on Jesus. Chapter 3 was that interesting chapter where Ruth seemed to be very forward and seemed to be going out of her way to call upon and to ask Boaz to redeem. She basically was doing that. Likewise, Jesus Christ came to die in your place and to die in my place, and he has paid the price in full to forgive our sins. What's necessary is for us to turn to him, to ask him to confess of our sins and say, Jesus, would you come and cleanse and forgive me? Finally, let me assure you with this. Jesus will redeem. We've got questions. We wonder, you know, whatever situation we're facing, is he going to come through? Is she going to come through? Is this going to somehow happen for us? Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I can assure you, when we call upon Jesus, he will redeem. When we call upon him, God's word says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, he will forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is a guarantee he will redeem, he will forgive. We look at Boaz and, and we're thankful for him, how he stepped in, he was able to and willing to redeem Ruth. Jesus Christ is not just able to, as he paid the price for you and I, he was willing to do that. He willingly went to the cross for you and for me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, In him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Jesus will redeem. <music>